This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about patient identifiers with Laura Landry, Executive Director of the Western Health Information Network. Thanks for joining us today, Laura. Thank you, Howard. For starters, why don't you tell us a little bit about Western Health Information Network, including the organizations it supports and the transactions it accommodates. Western Health Information Network is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2007 originally named Long Beach Network for Health. It was a project in the public health department focused on getting data shared to the appropriate location, including for public health purposes. We became a member of the Nationwide Health Information Network trial implementation contract group, and we developed our health information exchange along with the Nationwide Health Information Network Connect Gateway. Now we're actually um, supporting organizations in both Los Angeles and Orange Counties, and we are uh, supporting two health systems, Providence Health and, and Services California and Citrus Valley Health Partners, as well as several community clinics. And what we do is we make information available through the Health Information Exchange. So um, transactions like demographics for patient identification and lab results, uh, transcribed notes, medications, and radiology results. So the idea is to create an aggregated or virtual patient record across multiple organizations to best support the patient and what it is that they need in order to be taken care of properly. You recently announced plans to test the use of the Voluntary Universal Healthcare Identifier System from Global Patient Identifiers. What was the motivation behind this pilot project, and why did you choose to use this particular technology? One of the things that that is the key to making cross-organizational information, health information exchange work is good identification of a patient in multiple organizations. So we have a really robust master patient index. However, that's only part of the equation. It's not, you know, it gives an algorithm and it determines whether or not it thinks that these patient demographics and those patient demographics are the same patient. In order for us to use it at the community level, we need to have a really high level of assurance that the patient is the same patient. So we have a very low threshold for matching, so it's got to have a very high percentage of matchability. And what happens is, for instance, I'm somebody who has three other people of my name. One of them has the same middle initial as I do um, and lives in the same city as I do, is the same age as I am, and is also born in November. So, you know, we've got a lot of similar demographics, and she also has a brother named Mark. (laughs) interestingly enough. So that's a really hard thing for one of these master patient index to to put together. And we have a lot of that. So we want to be more certain. And the way we get more certain is we include the patient or the consumer 
in actually helping to identify themselves at these different locations. So GPII presented itself as an opportunity because we really know that we've got this problem and we've got to solve it somehow. And, you know, there's there's lots of different options. We could have tried a, you know, a volunteer one where the, the patient chooses their identification. But what I liked about GPII is their job is to make sure that an identifier is active, to know where the identifier, what community the identifier is active in, and to connect the organizations that have the demographics for that patient so that they can say, yes, this really is the same patient. And they've done a lot of work on the standards and things like that. So it was a natural opportunity for us to go to Robert Wood Johnson and say, look, there's a lot of concern about whether this would work. Let's, you know, let's make it voluntary. Nobody has to do this. And if it works and the patient says, you know, here's my identifier at this location and then goes to a hospital and says, here's my identifier, that gives us one more piece of data and we can weight it pretty heavily. We can say, Gee, this is a very high matching probability. If I if I take this to each of these locations, that's a pretty clear indicator that Laura Landry with this number is probably the same Laura Landry in another organization as long as she has that number over there too. So we're giving it a, a shot. We're going to see, does it really work? The answer isn't necessarily that it has to work. We just need to know, does this solve the problem or doesn't it? If it does, we can put more resources into it and refine it some more. If it doesn't solve the problem, if it ends up not being the solution, we need to know that that it's a dead end and we need to look for another solution. Over the years, some privacy advocates have expressed concern that the use of any kind of a patient identifier could jeopardize privacy. But you argue that the identifiers give patients more control over their privacy of their information. Can you explain uh, how that's the case? I can't talk about what the privacy advocates believe. I can only talk about what I believe. What I believe is, uh, so I'm somebody who's, I've I've been in several jobs over my 20-year career. My records are scattered across many healthcare payers. And I had a pretty significant health event back in 2000 when I was working with another organization. And most of that information is actually not available to me. And I wouldn't know how to go back and get it. I have no way of tracking whether those people are using my information appropriately or not. And they have no accountability to me because I'm no longer their member. So the way I look at it is, is if I have an identifier that's my identifier that I manage and I make people accountable to, right, eventually we can do things like we can report against who's been accessing my data through the health information exchange, who's been accessing, you know, who's, who's claimed that they're one of my physicians. And I think over time we'll be able to build applications that support the consumer auditing their own access of records and allowing for their own access of records by the people they want to access it. Because I think, unfortunately, the the way things have been built now with all of the constraints around data moving, it doesn't just protect it from when we don't want it to move. It also protects it from when we do want it to be shared. And that's that's what we're trying to solve. We're trying to solve for 
how do we take out of the equation the difficulty of making it shared when we're the ones who want it to be shared? And how could the identifier play a role in improving the quality of records? Is it by making sure all the records associated with the patient are, are available when they're needed? One way is absolutely, you know, somebody with even a moderately complex disease burden who has multiple providers or case managers or even physicians for different issues needs all of their data to be viewed by at least one person, whether it's a care manager, whether it's their primary care physician, whoever it is, needs to be able to have the whole picture of what's going on with a person so that it can be managed appropriately because, you know, I'm I'm currently taking care of my elderly parents. They're in their 80s and they both have a regimen of drugs and, and other things that they have to do in order, you know, doctors they have to see and tests they have to take on a regular basis. And their primary care physician manages all of those things But there are people who don't have that. And what I see as possible using this and and the, the benefit we get out of it is that when we know this is truly the information, we free up the physician from worrying about, do I have everything I need to know about this patient, to focusing on, okay, now that I know what I know about the patient, how do I improve their health and their well-being and their daily life? So I think aggregating the data, making it available to the people who are accountable for for taking care of the patient, making sure that the patient has access to what they need access for so that they can see what it is that their doctor recommended that they do. I think all of those things play a part of it. And the root, at the root of solving that problem on a societal level is being able to identify the patient on the one hand, and on the other hand, allow the patient to say, here are the things that I want people to know about me, here are the things I don't want people to know about me, and you can do that through this mechanism because they have different levels of identification. There's a private identifier and there's an open identifier. Finally, once your pilot, uh, which runs through mid-2012, concludes, will you be issuing a report on lessons learned and making it available to others? Absolutely. That's a, that's a core part of what we're doing. I mean, this is, this is truly a demonstration project. It's a pioneer project focused on what works, what doesn't work, what did we learn during this phase, and what do we think the next steps need to be in order to make it really, you know, useful ubiquitously across populations. So, you know, this is a very small, very focused project that will give us some answers things as simple as will a patient want to carry a card around and once they have a card will they actually use it at multiple locations will they remember things like that that are so important and we will be publishing this it's part of our grant agreement so we're absolutely going to be making sure that everybody knows what we learned in this project thanks very much we've been speaking today with laura landry of the western health information network this is howard anderson thanks so very much for listening This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.